Well, in the mercy of God, you know, we just wonder, Lord, sometimes you wake up saying, how could all this be? Then you settle down for a moment and say, that's right. God doesn't lie to us. He has a reputation for speaking absolute, final, ultimate truth. Thank God. Welcome to First Person and today's guest, theologian and author, Dr. John Whitcomb. I'm Wayne Shepherd, looking forward to introducing you to Dr. Whitcomb, the co-author of The Genesis Flood. First Person comes your way each week at this time as we talk with people about their faith and its effect on their life and calling. Sometimes you may recognize the name and sometimes not, but you always hear how God transforms lives for His glory. By the way, if you haven't discovered our audio archive, please visit FirstPersonInterview.com for access to all previous programs. Again, that's FirstPersonInterview.com for the archive as well as the calendar of upcoming programs. And if you're a Facebook person, you'll find us at Facebook.com forward slash FirstPersonInterview. Our guest today is the noted theologian and author, Dr. John Whitcomb. Dr. Whitcomb, along with the late Dr. Henry Morris, over 50 years ago, co-authored the book, The Genesis Flood, recently republished. And I spoke with Dr. Whitcomb on the phone about his long life and ministry. Wayne, it's an amazing story. As I look back over these nearly 60 years now, uh, I was not raised in a Christian home. I was an only child in a military family. But my dear father and mother sacrificed to get me to a prep school in Tennessee where I heard the gospel for the first time my last two years of high school. And that was an excellent, in fact, essential training program for me to get ready to go to Princeton University, where in the mercy of God, I heard the gospel again. (laughs) A sophomore came knocking on my dormitory, my freshman dormitory door, said, John, I went to the same prep school you did down there in Tennessee. And I just want to invite you to a Bible class here Sunday afternoon at Murray Dodge Hall, a student center on the campus. That was the last thing I was interested in, (laughs) the Bible. But you know what he did? He prayed for me. And you know what the Bible says about that, don't you, Mm friends? The fervent, effectual prayer of a righteous man avails much. Availeth much, right. So he came back several times, and uh, I finally surrendered and thought, maybe I'd get this man off my back. But I went to hear this teacher who had been a missionary to India and Afghanistan, Dr. Donald Fullerton. And I just was astounded at his graciousness, his obvious wisdom, his reverence for the Bible. And after several months of attending that class on and off, he finally discerned by February, this is February 43 now, that I was ready for a one-on-one encounter with Christ the Lord. So he came to my dorm room, and that night in February He explained to me who Jesus really is, what he's done for us on the cross and his resurrection from the dead, to pay in full the penalty I could never pay. And that night, I acknowledged Jesus as my Lord and my Savior. Wayne, all things passed away, all things became new. I didn't know anything about the Bible, but one thing I became at that moment was teachable. Yes. I could be taught by God through His Word in a way I'd never known before. Well, let me ask you, did you immediately develop a hunger for His Word then? Yes, I, I really wanted to know what this Bible has to say and share everything I learned with somebody else. And that's been my passion through all these years. And I say thank you, God, for what you did for me that night in my dorm room at Pine Hall, Princeton University, February 43. Well, of course, after that, I got a letter from the government Greetings. <laughs> you will report for induction in the U.S. Infantry. Yes, sir. <laughs> or Bragg, North Carolina. My, I never recover from that either. Huh. 
I was finally shipped to Europe and was in the Battle of the Bulge, almost died in that battle, and came back to Princeton in January, well, it was the spring of, of 46 to finish my last years there. And uh, my spiritual father, Don, Dr. Donald Fullerton, uh, encouraged me to go to Grace Theological Seminary, Winona Lake, Indiana, where Dr. Alva J. McLean was professor of theology and president and other great godly men. And he was uh, my second biblical father, I might say, to teach me the basics of Christian theology. Well, that set the course for your life then, didn't it? It absolutely did. And uh, my parents, I'm sure by then, were wondering what's going to happen to our son. (laughs) They thought I was in a cult or something, but uh, I kept praying for them, in fact, for 30 years for my dear parents. I believe my father finally came to the Lord when he was in his 80s. But uh, while I was at Princeton, I was very confused, Wayne, about the Genesis flood. I thought it was just a local catastrophe in Mesopotamia that all the fossils were formed, you know, millions of years before Adam and Eve in some kind of a catastrophe that supposedly happened in Genesis 1-2 called the gap theory, a very popular idea back then. But uh, finally, in the mercy of God, Dr. Henry Morris showed up on our campus in September 53, two years after I started teaching Old Testament. And this is at Grace in Winona Lake, Indiana. At Grace Seminary, Winona Lake, Indiana. And he explained magnificently the magnitude, significance, and effects of the global deluge. Well, who was Henry Morris? Henry Morris was a was a hydrodynamic engineer, and he was teaching in several universities and later ended up head of the civil engineering department at Virginia Polytech, Blacksburg, Virginia. He was a genius in what moving water can do under flood conditions, fossilization, sedimentation. And he pointed out to me that the trillions of fossils you find all over the world were formed rapidly, that's why they're preserved so perfectly, all over the earth in strata, layers, during the magnitude of the flood year. I decided right then and there, I have a hundred letters we wrote to each other, and Dr. Morris, I'm abandoning the gap theory. Pray for me as I spend the next several years writing a doctoral dissertation on the flood. Well, let me, let me stop you there and ask you, what do you think made you want to listen to Henry Morris? I mean, you were a, a Bible teacher, and he was a, uh, an engineer, right? Right, and uh, the reason being, Wayne, I had developing suspicions that the gap theory didn't quite ring the bell. In fact, a couple of my students uh, said, Dr. Whitcomb, we, we appreciate your belief in the inerrancy and truth of the Bible, but does the Bible really teach that there was a global catastrophe in Genesis 1-2? So I was beginning to wonder, what is the answer to this problem? Where does the Genesis flood fit in? I'm sure that God is preparing me for something. So when this man came who was an expert in what moving water under flood conditions can do in this world, he got me. Mm-hmm. He, he got my attention. Mm right then. That was a God-ordained moment, right? Absolutely. (laughs) So four years later, my doctoral dissertation was done, uh, nearly 500 pages on everything the Bible teaches about the flood. In Genesis, the Psalms, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Matthew, Luke, 1st and 2nd Peter, I was amazed at what the Bible says about this subject. Okay, now when did you write that dissertation? I finished it, Wayne, in 1957. And that's when Henry Morris agreed with me to co-author a book, because he had been collecting notes and, 
uh, all kinds of things he had been working on for years, and he agreed, and we then wrote back and forth to each other. My oldest son, David, still remembers seeing his father down in the basement with books piled everywhere, talking to some stranger <laughs> off in Virginia somewhere. You didn't have email, did you? <laughs> no. <laughs> so that was the uh, I would say that Henry Morris was my, was my creation science father. Huh. And God had to send me all kinds of help, and I think that uh, someday we'll learn that God in His mercy has helped us along the way in ways we don't even realize. We all know Henry Morris as the uh, director of the Institute for Creation Research. I'm not sure when that came along, but tell me about this man, uh, now with the Lord, but what was it about this man that he was so thoroughly convinced and was so winsome about it? Well, he started off, you know, as a theistic evolutionist, and he's written a book telling about the story of his life, and it's amazing how step by step, uh, through various influences, he began to realize there's something wrong here. There's something wrong. He had a deep reverence for the Bible, and uh, he was self-taught, if I can put it that way. Taught by God is a better way to put it. But he never went to a Bible school, what I mean to say, or a theological seminary like I had. But he just saw in the Bible something that was very unusual, namely the tremendous emphasis upon the magnitude of the flood which he didn't see in contemporary literature and uh, teachings, and he began to think this thing through very, very carefully. Praise God. So the two of you collaborated in writing the Genesis Flood in the late 1950s then? That's right. From 57 to 61, we corresponded with each other. Everything we wrote, we compared with uh, each other's uh, perspectives and got many, many others to read our manuscripts so that by the time it was ready, it was 500 pages, and we just couldn't find a publisher that would be interested in risking their dollars to publish something so controversial and so 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 gigantic. Yeah, that, that's one of the questions I have. How hard was it to find someone to publish this book? Well, we finally, in God's mercy, obviously, in God's providence, found a tiny little publishing company in New Jersey, Charles Craig, Presbyterian Reformed. Uh, we went to visit him one day. All he had was sort of a pile of papers in his kitchen in his house. That was his publishing company. <laughs> but he had been uh, urgently encouraged uh, by a couple of his friends to take a look at this manuscript. And that's what he did. And he did a magnificent job, Wayne, in producing that first hardback edition, beautifully done. And uh, immediately, immediately, uh, the, 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 first, the first printing was sold out. And he kept promoting it, and we made a couple of revised editions, and finally, uh, now weighing over a third of a million copies in five languages around the world. Praise God. We'll continue today's conversation with Dr. John Whitcomb coming up on the second half of First Person. Next time on First Person, Dr. Ravi Zachariah speaks to the issue of living for God. If we find our identity in our own strength or some other thing we have attained along the way, we will not delight the Lord. And if your goal in life is to delight the Lord, you should have that healthy reverence. Join us for a first-person conversation with international evangelist Ravi Zacharias next time here on First Person. Talking with Dr. John Whitcomb, the co-author of The Genesis Flood, a 50th anniversary edition of this book is now out. 
Yeah, written with uh, Henry Morris, uh, now with the Lord. And it's an honor to talk to you today, Dr. Whitcomb. You've spent your lifetime teaching the Bible. You are a Bible scholar. And this book, The Genesis Flood, has been so influential. But at the same time, there's been a lot of uh, softening of Christian thinking about this issue over the last 50 years. Uh, what is your assessment of where we are right now? In the mercy of God, Wayne, we have what we call a moder- the new modern creation science movement. Uh, Ken Ham, a science teacher in, in Australia, found our book back there in the 70s. It transformed his thinking. Others around the world have a similar testimony. And so here and there, uh, men of science, not so much theologians, amazingly, but men of science, especially historical sciences, paleontology, so forth, geology, began to see, here's the answer. Here's the answer. Catastrophism. And that's a word, of course, that evolutionists don't like because they think things took place over billions of years gradually, you know, and, and that, of course, is complete opposite of what the Bible teaches. Uh, just like Second Peter 3 warns us, in the last days, scoffers will come walking after their own lust, their own desire, and saying, where's the promise of his coming? What are these future catastrophes? Armageddon, judgment, heaven, hell? Oh, no. And all things have continued as they were from the beginning of creation. How did God know that they would think that ahead of time? I dare say there are people listening right now who would disagree with you on this issue uh, and other people who don't care about this issue. Why, right. why is it important that we come to a firm understanding of biblical creationism? Because, of course, uh, as I often point out to people, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the truth, and, of course, everyone who professes to be a Christian would have to agree with that, Jesus never was mistaken in his statements about the world, how it began, how it's going to end. And so we're amazed to see what he said about the Genesis flood. Listen to this. He said, the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. Why? For in those days which were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, they were marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. Watch that word, the ark and did not understand until the flood, second mention, came and took them all away, took everybody away, not just a few people in Mesopotamia. Why even have an ark? If Noah could have been warned two weeks in advance to escape the flood of a regional magnitude, why spend 120 years building a barge of 1,400,000 cubic feet to escape a local river flood that, that, that reduces Genesis to total absurdity? And so when we look at Jesus' statement, he said, pay attention to the flood, to Noah, to the ark. And I say, thank you, Lord Jesus. I want to do that. I want to, I want to follow your guidance in understanding how the world began. Because, if we, Wayne, here's the point. If Genesis is undependable, if the Genesis record of creation and the flood is, uh, is unscientific, anti-scientific, or whatever, uh, where does that put the Lord Jesus? Where does it put Moses? He, Jesus said, you know, on the road to Emmaus, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained the things concerning himself. He honored, respected, encouraged us to believe in the five books of Moses, starting with Genesis. So you see, it becomes a whole issue of our relationship to Christ and our understanding of who he really is. You've never wavered in this in all these years, have you? Well, in the mercy of God, you know, we just wanted the Lord. Sometimes you wake up saying, how could all this be? Then you settle down for a moment and say, that's right. God doesn't lie to us. He, he tells us things that are amazing, astonishing, spectacular. But he has a reputation 
for speaking absolute, final, ultimate truth. Thank God. I'm glad you mentioned that because I've been thinking, too, about the faith involved in this. And you, of course, are steeped in the biblical record and the science of this, along with uh, Dr. Morris's research. But it, it takes faith as well, doesn't it? Well, yes, of course, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, says the book of Hebrews, chapter 11. You say, oh, no, I thought this was all based on scientific discovery, sir. Now, wait a minute. Faith in what God has said, not just what anybody says. And God's Word is self-authenticating. That's an amazing thing we discover about the Bible. You don't have to prove the Bible. God, God has amazingly, by the Holy Spirit, enabled us to believe the Bible, because of the one who wrote it. And I say, Lord, that is amazing. The Bible is self-consistent. It has the marks of divinity upon it, infallibility, inerrancy, inspiration. And I say, Lord, help me to understand that I'm not reading some fables of long ago, some mere human legends or opinions or Mm -hmm. dreams, but the word of the living God. And, And the reason we can believe what God says, Wayne, is this. We have the image and likeness of God by creation and procreation. We're not like animals. God says, you can believe what I say because of who I am and because of who you are. We're eternally, everlastingly responsible to God for what we do to his self-authenticating word. Well, it's been more than 50 years since you teamed up with Henry Morris to write the Genesis Flood. I know you have collected stories through the years. I'd just like to hear a couple of those stories of how God has used this book. Uh, What are some that come to your mind right now? Well, we're, we're just amazed to go, uh, and different, I've traveled in many, many countries of the world, and people everywhere are saying, well, Dr. Wickham, that book was God's means to help change my whole thinking about the origin of the world. And I just say, well, thank you, Lord, because it's not my doing, or even Henry Morris's doing, but God's doing, because all we're doing is trying to tell people everywhere we go what God meant by what he said about the, how the world began. And, you know, when you begin to look carefully, and this, of course, is a dangerous thing, looking carefully at the Bible may change your life. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when you look carefully, even in the Psalms, like Psalm 104, verse 6, here's what the psalmist tells us about the flood. Thou didst cover it, the earth, with the deep to home, the ocean depths as with a garment. Now, wait a minute, listen to this. The waters were standing above the mountains. Above the mountains? That's the pre-flood mountains, not Mount Everest. These are all mountains today, the Rockies, Himalayas, Alps, rose since the flood to their enormous altitudes. But before the flood, oceans were shallower, mountains were lower, because much of Earth's oceans were where? In a transparent, invisible vapor canopy around the whole world, a global terrarium. It was a very different world then before the flood from what it is today. But that flood, God must have known, you see, even in Psalm 104, that's the first question we would ask. Did the mountains actually get totally covered by that flood water? Yes, for months, covered totally, 110 days before that ark landed. And I say, Lord, if Mount St. Helens' explosion in 1980, we all have heard of that, haven't we? Mm-hmm. The greatest catastrophe of the 20th century. If that volcano could push billions of tons of mud down into a lake that created a wave 800 feet high that ripped off a million trees. What would a flood have done that covered the whole world for months? Hmm. I still want to hear a story or two. I mean, I know this book is being used in seminaries and Christian schools all over the world, but uh, you've got to have had letters from people, right? I have. A, <laughs> I, 
I have a whole box of letters, Wayne, of people. I call it letters of appreciation, yeah. letters of encouragement from all over the world. And I, I just don't know what I'm going to do with all these. Maybe I should put them in a book someday and publish them because they have been so encouraging to me. Because my own, my own alma mater, Princeton University, of course, can I say it cautiously, mm-hmm. the entire administration of that great university completely ignores, rejects the historicity of the book of Genesis. And that's so sad because it was started to be a, a training center for Christian leaders back in the days of Jonathan Edwards, one yes. of our presidents. He's buried on a cemetery near the campus, mm-hmm. and I went there one day and leaned over and heard him turning over. Oh. <laughs> but what I'm saying about my own alma mater, Princeton University, we have some Christian students, yes, uh, through which people can be saved, yes, but I'm talking about the administration, the official position of the school, the science department. That is true of all major accredited, reputable universities in the world. And I say, Lord, I am, I am intimidated by this. In fact, I'm threatened by this. I'm discouraged. But God says, sit down, let's talk. Yeah. When did God ever say that the majority of people in the world would be- believe what he said in the Bible? And I say, Lord, I'm, I'm just staggered by the magnitude of the darkness and resistance to the living Word of God. We've, we, the hundreds of scientists today, as you know, Wayne, have proven that evolution is impossible. No one's ever seen anything evolve anywhere ever. In fact, it's impossible to add new information to any living system because we're trapped in what? The first and second laws of thermodynamics. Mm-hmm. Everything in science shows evolution is impossible, impossible. Why do they believe it? Because the only alternative is to take God at his word. And somehow there's a satanic power system on this planet. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, do we? Against principalities, powers, the rulers of the darkness of this age. We just have to be realistic. Lord, help me to focus on you and not be overcome and discouraged or defeated by the intellectual, academic, spiritual trends of our generation. Help me to keep my eye on you and do your work, your way, and for your glory. Mm. Dr. Wickham, I mean this as a compliment, but it's hard to get you to talk about yourself and not teach what God's Word says. That's that's the passion of your life, isn't it? Amen. I just want to say, Lord, help me to tell somebody, even today at a grocery store, a restaurant, somewhere, the gospel tract, how great Jesus is. Jesus will change your life, sir, forever, and put your faith in his finished work. You have a prepaid round-trip ticket to heaven, and people, many have listened and said, That's, thank you, sir. And I just trust that somehow we can all spread, be light reflectors, can't we, into the deepening darkness of our generation. You'll find links with more information about today's guest, Dr. John Whitcomb, on our website, firstpersoninterview.com. By the way, many of his sermons are archived online, as well as his radio program, Encounter God's Truth. Our website also contains an audio archive of all of our past interviews, so if you are a newcomer to First Person, you can always go online to firstpersoninterview.com and choose to listen to any number of interviews. Also, if you'd like to receive First Person as a podcast, all you need to do is go to iTunes, search for the program, and subscribe free of charge. Of course, there's more information at firstpersoninterview.com and on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash firstpersoninterview. Next time, our guest will be Dr. Ravi Zacharias. Ravi is a writer, speaker, evangelist, but we're going to talk about how God first reached his heart when he was a struggling teenager trying to commit suicide. 
Join us for the conversation with Ravi Zacharias next week. With thanks to my producer and friend Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepard. Join us next week for First Person.